can't we just redesign the systems that don't work? The people I'm having the chance to converse with in different parts of the world are imagining new systems, new collaborations. They're imagining a new world. Welcome to Design Influence. I'm Isabel Swiderski. It is a project that um, has been years in the making. I, I'd say that it's also a, a very ambitious, important project of, of the scale of which I don't think has been done before, certainly uh, anywhere in North America, uh, where we're building um, uh, a building, a place, a home for entrepreneurs, for advocates, for not-for-profits, um, for indigenous organizations that is meant to address you know, some broader systemic challenges around poverty, colonialism, um, racism, but also connect directly with this community um, of, of which many people are dealing with an ongoing health crisis with uh, drug use and uh, opiate overdose um, deaths as well. So it, it is a it's a it's a ambitious project, it's a challenging one, but it's also a very necessary one that uh, a lot of people are are very excited about and hopeful for the the change that we can create here. Sean Condon is Managing Director at 312 Maine. A project of Van City Community Foundation, 312 Maine is a centre for social and economic innovation located in the downtown east side in the former Vancouver Police Department headquarters. Sean previously served as Social Enterprise Development Advisor for Van City Community Foundation and founded his own social enterprise, Megaphone, which is a monthly magazine sold on the streets of Vancouver and Victoria by homeless and low-income vendors. So this building um, was built in the early 50s and was the headquarters for the Vancouver Police Department. And um, uh, this neighborhood had always been, I think, uh, a bit of a mixed income neighborhood. There was a lot of uh, lower income folks, a lot of loggers and and fishers who would use the uh, the hotels, the single room occupancy hotels as a sort of way station in between seasons. But um, as we saw kind of in, in, in all of North America, the hollowing out of, of cities as folks uh, moved to the suburbs and uh, capital uh, fled with it, uh, this just really decimated this community. And uh, we also saw some probably some social engineering of, of uh, the city pushing poor people into this community. And um, so if, the, if you've been to, ever seen or heard stories of Vancouver down, uh, downtown east side, it's a very dense neighborhood, uh, a lot of uh, drug use, a lot of poverty, a, a high indigenous community as well that is um, dealing with the ramifications and ongoing uh, impacts of colonialism. Um, and so uh, the police station uh, became a very... Um, a source of, of pain for a lot of people in the community. A lot of uh, people looked at it as a as a place of repression, where they might be arrested and brought into the jail cells, where um, in the in the stairwells or in the jail cells they might have been um, physically abused as well, um, or just you know, just a reminder of the the lack of power that they had. So transforming this building is it wasn't just a building. You know, it was a, a symbol for a lot of the. Um, the systemic problems and injustices that were in this community and in our societies. So we've been having to, to think about that, the, the legacy of this building, on, but also um, hoping to have build a new narrative about the transformation of this building into one that empowers the community.
I think for for me one really symbolic uh, um, room in the in the building that symbolizes that change, I guess, is uh, <clears throat> on the fourth floor. Uh, is the uh, was the police chief head uh, boardroom, and that's where they did a lot of their press conferences there. And over the years, it was a lot of press conferences that uh, um, were about folks impacted our indigenous communities and and issues that related to indigenous communities and. Um, for instance, uh, around mi murdered and missing women um, in Vancouver in the downtown east side. And at first, the police denied that there was a you know a serial killer, for instance, who was preying on on uh, women, vulnerable women, often indigenous women. So that boardroom, um, what you'd see in the on your six o'clock news, uh, became a, a very uh, much a symbol of pain too for indigenous communities. That boardroom is now. Um, the uh, the space for the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, um, and that that's their boardroom now, and they have replaced some of the uh, the wood walls with uh, cedar wood and their own um, artwork as well. And this is where they bring their community in, and they have their meetings when they're talking about organizing around injustices, around murdered and missing women, uh, around um, environmental. Um, uh, justice as well. That happens there. So I think, you know, there's more work that needs to be done. We need to listen to the community. We need to work with Indigenous communities. But I but I think that to me is that's a big part of it is, is this transfer, transferring of power um, back to communities. How do you invite other folks to come into the space? So yeah. obviously you speak of this example. Are there other examples um, and, and maybe what are the greatest challenges that you've encountered in trying to invite diverse voices and diverse groups into the building? Yeah, it's, it has been challenging, absolutely. And um, I think in some ways it's, it's worked really well. In other ways, we, we still have a lot to learn. Um, one aspect is I, as we developed the space, we had uh, certain visions for how this was going to operate. And because of the zoning issues, uh, just because of capacity, we haven't been able to achieve all those. And, and some of it is just, you know, um, testing and learning as we go, but some of it has just been restrictive based on based on the the, the zoning of the building and um, what we're actually allowed to do. So, um, in terms of inviting the community, um, you know, in one way, absolutely, the the organizations that are in this space are are mostly working very intentionally in this community, um, and uh, that can be social enterprises that are employing. Uh, people are experiencing homelessness or poverty, addiction, mental health, mental, uh, physical disabilities. Um, it's advocacy organizations that are uh, working to um, uh, change uh, legislation uh, and um, work with governments to um, ensure we can end poverty. Um, you know, it's having the Union of BC Indian Chiefs that are uh, such a powerful voice in Indigenous communities in this province. Um, so those, that's kind of in that way, bringing them all together, and then in and in, in, in many ways, in the same spirit of, of co-working and co-location, understanding how those groups can work together by sharing the space. And sometimes that happens quite informally, you know, just around, um, around literally around the kitchen table. In other ways. Uh, how can we at 312 Maine um, help support those groups more uh, more formally by having uh, uh, our own programming here at the space that does capacity building for those organizations and brings them together in a purposeful way, an intentional way to look at uh, just you know strengthening your organization and strengthening your networks as well. 
Um, in terms of the broader community, um, we're always we're trying to bring uh, that community into the space. We have a, a beautiful ground floor with um, Indigenous-inspired longhouse uh, on the ceiling. We've had conferences here, healing ceremonies, uh, groups that are able to come in and, and have their events here. Um, and, and continue to invite them. And there's there's work that we still have to do about how how we're how we're inviting the community in here and, and how accessible we can be. But it's 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 ongoing work that we're uh, that we're that we're focused on trying to uh, find solutions to. So when you say we, how, what are some of the mechanisms that are using that are using and, and how in the management of the organization are you bringing in diverse folks or are you? Yeah. So in, in that sense, again, you know, I say we, it's, it's, uh, this is again a project of the Van City Community Foundation, but, but really, you know, we, we're part of a broader community. So um, in one sense, it's working with the, the, the members and the tenants who are already in the building, you know, and, and building the network with them um, and listening to them and their needs and their ideas uh, and letting them lead. Um, so we don't we don't we don't need to do the the programming organizing if they, if they have the ideas and just how can we support that? In other ways, building relationships with the broader community, inviting them in and uh, the stakeholders, the organizations, the ones we have built up relationships with over the years, either through the individual staff members or as the as the organization, the community foundation as well, and um, listening to them and trying to build those coalitions. Um, and and really being intentional uh, about that that kind of um, that organizing, right? And it's and I you know from my own experience uh, working in this community, uh, running a social enterprise myself with with folks who are homeless and low low income, um, it's it's hard work. It's long takes a long time, and you have to be purposeful. You have to keep showing up. You have to also be honest about what you can and can't do, and what where the boundaries are. Um, but you, you, you just have to keep working on it. And so I'd say, you know, we, we've been open in this space for just over a year. I'd say it's, it still feels like very early stages. We have a lot of work to do in terms of building those, those connections and those coalitions, building that community. Um, and I think we have a lot of learning to just understand where this project going to go, which is, you know, the, the part that keeps, keeps, keeps us spinning in a good way. Right. And, and it keeps me excited because, um, I think I, you know, we can all see the opportunity and the potential of having a, a project like this be such a powerful asset for this community, and and yet in, in some ways I'm I'm not, you know, we don't entirely know where this is going to go because I don't think we can totally lead that. That has to be done with the community. So, um, so what has been what is a story that to you at this stage embodies in a way the intention that you had when you came into this project? Is there something that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, maybe there's been a few, but one that comes to mind right away is uh, we had a, a four-day conference here called uh, Feminist Deliver, and that was um, a conference and a, a coalition of, of women's feminist organizations that um, came out of a response to a uh, uh, another conference that was downtown called Women Deliver, and um, a number of women organizers said, you know, this, this conference that's happening uh, doesn't feel like it reflects the, the voices of you know, the grassroots, the women in this community. We, we need to organize ourselves uh, and we need to take it, uh, we need, in part as a protest, but also as part of an opportunity here. 
And um, they reached out to us and they said, we really wanted to be in this space. And we had not run a conference of that size yet. We're not, you know, but we recognized at this time, this was such an important moment um, that we needed to get prepared. So um, especially because the report um, the, coincided with the release of the report around the murdered and missing women in, in Canada, most indigenous women. So for four days, um, this conference uh, was on the ground floor. Uh, you know, I had hundreds of, of people come, uh, mostly women, indigenous women, women of color, uh, women that have been marginalized, um, holding, holding court and, and talking about the issues that are impacting their communities and, and organizing about solutions and um, building those coalitions themselves and recognizing, you know, uh, what are, what what power they have um, and what needs to be done going forward and I, I thought that was um, a really great opportunity because this was what this space was built for for those moments uh, for those communities to come in and take that ownership and I'm, I'm was glad we were able to, to host that and I want that 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 moment to be replicated uh, for us where the community does feel that sense of ownership in this space that this is an asset for them to organize to have a safe place to, to, to come and feel a part of and, and do so in a way that's really going to affect change. And the flip side of that is I'm assuming that you've run into a number of challenges. You mentioned zoning before. Is there something else as well where if you were to do it over again, um, you, you would avoid that situation or, or something that where you learned something from the hindrance that occurred? Yeah, I, you know, it's it's been a, I, you know, I'm I'm still relatively new at five months, so you know, um, I think that um, one piece that has been interesting is design uh, of space, and um, and it, there's there are a lot of small things that I look back at and say if if done again, you know, if done with more understanding of what the community's needs are for the space, I I think we would have redesign the space in a different way. Not that it, it still can't work, but it's been interesting to me um, to look back and say, um, is, is, you know, this in one sense looks like this could be totally functional and useful. And then when we, we're bringing community in, they're saying, actually, this doesn't work for us. You know, it would have been so much better if this, this room was over here or the access was over there. And um, I think that's just an important consideration. Now, I think we're we're lucky that, uh, that we work with a community that is so flexible resource, you know, resourceful, and they make it make do with very little. And so we've worked around those challenges. But I also do think it's interesting to, to see how, um, you know, human centric design, community design, uh, how much this is something you, you shouldn't shortcut at all. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. um, at the at the outset, I'm assuming you needed a number of partners, uh, not just on the financial side, but even the city, what kind of, can you walk me through a little bit the process of not just coming up with the idea, although I'd love mm -hmm. to, to hear about that as well, but also having it come to fruition, how long it took, and, and again, where you feel maybe the key collaborations were that really moved the work forward? Yeah, so some of this predates my, a lot of this predates my time. I, I um, My relationship with this project and building had actually been on the other side as a tenant. Um, so I, maybe I'll try to, to speak to both, but um, sure. What, yeah, yeah but I think for, for first as a as a as a tenant, you know, uh, I ran a, 
um, an organization called Megaphone Magazine, which is a, a magazine sold on the streets of Vancouver by homeless and low-income people. There's a, a model and a project that is um, that is similar and popular around the world. And um, we were in a, in a place in time where we needed new office space. And we looked around um, what was available and we began to quickly realize we were in a lot of trouble. Uh, we couldn't afford the space. The downtown east side, um, is being gentrified, and that has uh, ra quite rapidly as well, and that has raised the market rates, the real estate rates, quite significantly. For so, for smaller organizations, uh, are really struggling. Even larger organizations are struggling to to maintain their their presence in this community, which is still very important. Um, and the thought began: Well, what happens if we leave this neighborhood? Like, what impact would that have? And we knew it would be significant for a lot of the the folks that depend on the income generated from from megaphone and being accessible to them, because uh, it wasn't. It's not just a couple blocks over. It would be um, quite a far uh, move that would have to happen to find affordable space. So when this project did come forward, um, and we started in negotiations with. Um, <clears throat> Uh, with with the project about moving in, it was it was a blessing. Absolutely, it was, we were very grateful because I don't know what would have happened if we had to leave. Um, so in that sense, when I when we signed the lease before I I left the position, um, uh, you know the the impact that that just had on this organization and I think so many that are in this space is 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 really really powerful right because it it we're at a moment too where it's the neighborhood does feel at a crossroads and it, the, it's already a very vulnerable neighborhood and the impact of losing those important resources spreading them out and making them no longer as easily accessible uh, could be really devastating for a lot of folks um, so that that's kind of my personal background into this space and connection to it now in terms of um, how this is manifested in the, the history of it yeah it's it's been a political one for sure you know there uh, had been talk about um, demolishing the building and potentially turning this into social housing because that's a need in this community as well um, uh, I believe that the vision really came from um, the Jim Green Foundation, which uh, Jim Green had been a longtime community activist, a former city councillor, and his vision was that he saw a need for a social innovation centre in this community um, as, as a gap in terms of like the assets. You know, there's community centres, there's social housing, we have health, health centres like the safe injection site, and, um, but there hasn't been a place for those, those smaller social enterprises, community building organisations to have um, affordable real estate, affordable spaces, and to be able to network and build together. Because when you're when you're a small group and, and you're working um, on very challenging issues, you're just you're at max capacity, and it, it makes it very difficult to um, scale your impact because um, you're just you're just constantly burning the candle at both ends, you know, and so to speak. I could use a whole bunch of other <laughs> metaphors, but um, so that that's where that vision came from, and from there. Uh, the city council at the time, Vision Vancouver, um, and with the Van City Credit Union, uh, bought into that vision and saw that that opportunity and that impact. And the city of Vancouver then worked with uh, the Van City or Van City Credit Union, and then Van City Community Foundation to to manifest that and implement that vision. And um, you know, I, I, even in between there, there was even a talk at one point about turning this into a tech hub before that vision fully came on as, as well. And the community 
rightly responded like that's not what we need right? this isn't the place for that even as I, I can understand how that can be an economic driver for the city but this is this is not what the, the community needs and it's not asking for this and in fact could be a detriment if it brings in more gentrification so you know I, I've said this a few times but it's it's a complicated project because of the history of this building, because of the gentrification in the neighborhood, because of the ongoing needs and the crisis that still exists in this neighborhood. So there's a lot of things to consider and trying to balance those all together is, is definitely a challenge, but it's it's necessary, you know, and it's, it's this is where, you know, we've come in the community foundation and we're trying to work with the, the broader community here too, is, is to find those balances and make this work because when it does come together, when it does work and groups are able to have secure space and work with other organizations that are creating change in their community or, or find new networks that they necessarily wouldn't have necessarily thought they could build upon that strengthen their capacity, then we can see um, a stronger community. So what has led you personally to this role in this moment in your career? In some ways, I feel like this has been a, just like a really natural progression for me. So my background, again, as I said, was was working in this community for a long time, developing a, an organization and a social enterprise. And then for about two and a half years, um, I worked as the social enterprise development advisor um, with the Van City Community Foundation. So that was working to support uh, a number of the groups that are actually in, in this building. And... <laughs> and just broader trying to affect, um, I think, change in, in our cities about the, the potential for how we use capital and uh, where that money flows and um, how do we create sustainable change uh, for our communities. And, and I think social enterprise is one, one tool that can do that um, and can do that in a really powerful way. Um, so what in your view is is the way in which social enterprise approaches this problem in a in a way that's different than we've seen from to maybe to more traditional funders as an example yeah I, I think it's I think it's for me what I really um, what draws me to social enterprise is the empowering aspect um, where um, when you're able to find that a sustainable model that you're able to um, compete in the marketplace and and generate your own revenue and not rely on um, on donations and grants as much. Um, not to say you still can't uh, and don't need to in some degree, but um, we've seen so many organizations that 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 can just become so vulnerable to those those large funding sources. Um, and when a government changes or money dries out, suddenly they're they're stuck. And that really challenges um, the very important programming that they're doing. And I and I and not to say that that sh that still is a model that doesn't shouldn't still exist. But um, I think that for, for me, I, I, I what I really do appreciate about the social enterprise model is that that uh, self-sustaining uh, aspect of that because now you can uh, have better certainty um, about the uh, 
uh, about your own organization's future. But I also think that the model, which, you know, it, it, there's, there's a lot of different social enterprise models, but one I worked a lot with was around supportive employment for folks with barriers, homelessness, addiction, poverty, uh, mental health. Um, and what we've seen is when we we're able to work to create jobs um, and give folks that sense of purpose, um, it is really powerful and really transformative for those individuals because um, I think... Poverty is, is obviously very difficult on day to day, and that's, a, and that's an understatement, um, but it's, it's really socially isolating. And uh, the depression that c- can just take hold of, of, of folks when they don't have a sense of value of themselves. Um, so one, one of the social enterprises that are in, is in 312 Hives for Humanity, they, um, they run a series of community apiaries throughout the city, uh, and they teach folks of all backgrounds and stripes about uh, beekeeping and and the importance of bees in our in our urban environment as well. And they employ folks from the downtown east side to be some of the beekeepers, or or help make uh, the candles that you know, or the package of the honey. And you can see the pride that the, those individuals have, and that they're developed. They have the skills. Um, they just never had the opportunity. And so they show up to our work every day and they come into this building just, just beaming. And, um, and, you know, in my own time too at Megaphone, I, we saw that with the connections that vendors made with their customers. And uh, it's just absolutely powerful to feel that sense of value, to feel those, those connections with people. That was what really was lacking. The, the money is, is, is just really a conduit to those connections. That has a huge implications to our societies and our communities. When people, everyone should feel, feel valued, you know, and everyone should have a role and feel like they have a place. And I feel like social enterprises do that so effectively for people, and they can integrate themselves into the rest of our. You know, they can integrate into uh, into our economy. Um, they allow for people to um, build relationships with them as consumers, you know, whether you're buying an individual product or as an institution, perhaps you're contracting with that, um, with that social enterprise. But instead of it feeling like it's an other piece or a, like a program that just, you know, feels quite distant, I think it's also really important for general society to, to find ways to connect to these issues in ways that are, are accessible as well. And I think social enterprises does that. So I, I also think they really help inform people about these very challenging social issues, environmental issues in ways that um, necessarily other programs or advocacy organizations can't. And not that they don't play a powerful role too. I think it's just a, it's just a piece of a puzzle here. Yeah. Part of the mission of this space is to focus on issues of reconciliation and facilitating some of those conversations. What what are mechanisms, what are concrete things that you've observe, observed that you have found the most successful in, you, you did mention getting out of the way, um, mm-hmm. but in the, in the instance of reconciliation, if we're trying to address it from a place of dialogue, um, how, what have you seen that has moved us forward? even in a small way. Right, and just at 312 Main here, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, yeah, sometimes like I said, you know, giving space and, and allowing people to claim space and those indigenous communities to claim that space, I think is important, but um, understanding how you show up as an ally and how, how do you build this with, with folks um, as a partner and the role in that. And I think, you know, that's, that's, that's a, 
big and important issue that I uh, I think we're still learning, and I think um, we have to we have to be okay with that and have to know that or we know that we don't fully know all the answers but how do we begin to understand those answers how do we ask those questions um, and that just takes time and trust with working with those communities and listening to when you know they say we need the space for a healing ceremony and how do we help how do we help facilitate that um, I think this space you know when when it first opened under phase one uh, brought in an Indigenous elder, Shane Point, who did a uh, smudging ceremony to try to, to heal this this building. And um, um, through that, he, he came back and said, you know, this, this space has a spirit of a grandmother. And this can be a really caring um, place that, that opens itself up and welcomes and cares for the community. And uh, I think we've, everyone here in this building has, has really taken that to heart to understand what does that mean and how do we show up in that, in that way and how do we build on that. But at the same time, I, I know, you know there are still jail cells in this building that haven't been removed. Um, and there, there's a few of them left and they're, they're stark and they're, they're, frankly, they're haunting. Um, and we've had folks who've come into this building and, and can't or can't come into this building um, because of those the traumatic um, the traumatic history and as we go forward and it and we we do bring in more you know the community does come in here more we have to understand what what does that mean how do we continue to participate in this healing what are the what are the conversations we have what are the ceremonies that we need to have um, what is the what is the legacy of what this building was, um, and the impact that that had on this community, and, and how do how do we heal those those wounds? And I don't I don't know I don't know that answer to be frank. And I but I but I know we'll keep asking and we'll keep working on it. And how do we um, make sure the indige indigenous communities do feel that sense of 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 place here as well, and that this is a, a positive place uh, for those communities because. Um, they've been they've been so deeply impacted uh so uh, you know i it's 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 early i'd say still for us but i i think you know you, you know even having the union of bc indian chiefs in here has, has been um has been really important and we continue to talk to them and we need to continue to talk to the uh, the communities around us and and really continue to just be very intentional about like learning and working on these issues so five months in what does success look like to you personally a year from now? Yeah, so, um, you know, we're, we're in a phase development in terms of uh, filling out the space. And uh, we have so, uh, you know, a first kind of cohort of organizations and groups that, that um, where we're say we're about, you know, 50 to 60% full. Mm. We're looking for impactful organizations to come into the space. Um, we want this to be, again, a place where uh, those groups can work out of or can have events um, and and feel that they can create, you know, the, the change and do the work that they need to out of the space. So if they're interested in moving into the space to reach out to us through the, uh, you can do that through our website, 312main.ca. Um, and uh, we have a, just a process in place and how you can apply. But I think that's that's also the place, you know, where this could be the space for you. We really do want to have progressive social change, environmental, indigenous organizations 
out of this space. And I think that that will really strengthen and build the space and to, and to help it reach its potential. So um, absolutely would love to, to give uh, groups interested in working out of the space tours and see if this would be a fit for them. Sean Condon is Managing Director at 312 Maine. A project of Van City Community Foundation, 312 Maine is a centre for social and economic innovation located in the downtown east side in the former Vancouver Police Department headquarters. Sean previously served as Social Enterprise Development Advisor for Van City Community Foundation and founded his own social enterprise, Megaphone, which is a monthly magazine sold on the streets of Vancouver and Victoria by homeless and low-income vendors. <laughs>